Section three of Farewell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Farewell by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. Section three. The prudent magistrate recognizing the gravity of the crisis through which his friend was passing refrained from asking questions or exciting him further and grew impatient of the length of the way to the chateau for the change wrought in the colonel's face alarmed him he feared lest the countess's terrible disease had communicated itself to philippe's brain when they reached the avenue at l'isle-adam d'alban sent the servant for the local doctor so that the colonel had scarcely been laid in bed before the surgeon was beside him if monsieur le colonel had not been fasting the shock must have killed him pronounced the leech he was overtired and that saved him and with a few directions as to the patient's treatment he went to prepare a composing draught himself monsieur de sucy was better the next morning but the doctor had insisted on sitting up all night with him i confess monsieur le marquis the surgeon said that i feared for the brain monsieur de sucy has had some very violent shock he is a man of strong passions but with his temperament the first shock decides everything he will very likely be out of danger to-morrow the doctor was perfectly right the next day the patient was allowed to see his friend i want you to do something for me dear d'alban philip said grasping his friend's hand hasten at once to the minorite convent find out everything about the lady whom we saw there and come back as soon as you can i shall count the minutes till i see you again monsieur d'alban called for his horse and galloped over to the old monastery when he reached the gateway he found someone standing there a tall spare man with a kindly face who answered in the affirmative when he was asked if he lived in the ruined house monsieur d'alban explained his errand why then it must have been you sir who fired that unlucky shot you all but killed my poor invalid ah, i fired into the air if you had actually hit madame la comtesse you would have done less harm to her well well then we can neither of us complain for the sight of the countess all but killed my friend monsieur de sucy the baron de sucy is it possible cried the doctor clasping his hands has he been in russia was he in the beresina yes answered d'albon he was taken prisoner by the cossacks and sent to siberia he has not been back in this country a twelvemonth come in monsieur 
said the other, and he led the way to a drawing-room on the ground floor. Everything in the room showed signs of capricious destruction. Valuable china jars lay in fragments on either side of a clock beneath a glass shade which had escaped. The silk hangings about the windows were torn to rags, while the muslin curtains were untouched. You see about you the havoc wrought by a charming being to whom I have dedicated my life. She is my niece, and though medical science is powerless in her case, I hope to restore her to reason, though the method which I am trying is unluckily only possible to the wealthy. Then, like all who live much alone, and daily bear the burden of a heavy trouble, he fell to talk with the magistrate. This is the story that he told, set in order, and with the many digressions made by both teller and hearer omitted. When, at nine o'clock at night, on the 28th of November, 1812, Marshal Victor abandoned the heights of Studzianka, which he had held through the day, he left a thousand men behind with instructions to protect, till the last possible moment, the two pontoon bridges over the Beresina that still held good. This rear guard was to save, if possible, an appalling number of stragglers, so numbed with the cold that they obstinately refused to leave the baggage-wagons. The heroism of the generous band was doomed to fail, for unluckily the men who poured down to the eastern bank of the Beresina found carriages, caissons, and all kinds of property which the army had been forced to abandon during its passage on the twenty-seventh and twenty-eighth days of November. The poor, half-frozen wretches, sunk almost to the level of brutes, finding such unhoped-for riches bivouacked in the deserted space, laid hands on the military stores, improvised huts out of the material, lighted fires with anything that would burn, cut up the carcasses of the horses for food tore out the linings of the carriages, wrapped themselves in them, and lay down to sleep, instead of crossing the Beresina in peace under cover of night, the Beresina that even then had proved by incredible fatality so disastrous to the army. Such apathy on the part of the poor fellows can only be understood by those who remember tramping across those vast deserts of snow, with nothing to quench their thirst but snow, snow for their bed, snow as far as the horizon on every side, and no food but snow, a little frozen beetroot, horse-flesh, or a handful of meal. 
the miserable creatures were dropping down overcome by hunger thirst weariness and sleep when they reached the shores of the beresina and found fuel and fire and victuals countless wagons and tents a whole improvised town in short the whole village of studyanka had been removed piecemeal from the heights of the plain and the very perils and miseries of this dangerous and doleful habitation smiled invitingly to the wayfarers who beheld no prospect beyond it but the awful russian deserts a huge hospice in short was erected for twenty hours of existence only one thought the thought of rest appealed to men weary of life or rejoicing in unlooked-for comfort they lay right in the line of fire from the cannon of the russian left but to that vast mass of human creatures a patch upon the snow sometimes dark sometimes breaking into flame the indefatigable grape-shot was but one discomfort the more for them it was only a storm and they paid the less attention to the bolts that fell among them because there were none to strike down there save dying men the wounded or perhaps the dead stragglers came up in little bands at every moment these walking corpses instantly separated and wandered begging from fire to fire and meeting for the most part with refusals banded themselves together again and took by force what they could not otherwise obtain they were deaf to the voices of their officers prophesying death on the morrow and spent the energy required to cross the swamp in building shelters for the night and preparing a meal that often proved fatal the coming death no longer seemed an evil for it gave them an hour of slumber before it came hunger and thirst and cold these were evils but not death at last wood and fuel and canvas and shelters failed and hideous brawls began between destitute late-comers and the rich already in possession of a lodging the weaker were driven away until a few last fugitives before the russian advance were obliged to make their bed in the snow and lay down to rise no more little by little the mass of half-dead humanity became so dense so deaf so torpid or perhaps it should be said so happy that marshal victor their heroic defender against twenty thousand russians under wittgenstein was actually compelled to cut his way by force through this forest of men so as to cross the beresina with the five thousand heroes whom he was leading to the emperor the miserable creatures preferred to be trampled and crushed to death rather than stir from their places 
and died without a sound smiling at the dead ashes of their fires forgetful of france not before ten o'clock that night did the duc de belluno reach the other side of the river before committing his men to the pontoon bridges that led to zembin he left the fate of the rear-guard at studzianka in eble's hands and to eble the survivors of the calamities of the beresina owed their lives about midnight the great general followed by a courageous officer came out of his little hut by the bridge and gazed at the spectacle of this camp between the bank of the Beresina and the Borisov road to Studzianka. The thunder of the Russian cannonade had ceased. Here and there faces that had nothing human about them were lighted up by countless fires that seemed to grow pale in the glare of the snow-fields and to give no light nearly thirty thousand wretches belonging to every nation that napoleon had hurled upon russia lay there hazarding their lives with the indifference of brute beasts we have all these to save the general said to his subordinate to-morrow morning the russians will be in studzianka the moment they come up we shall have to set fire to the bridge so pluck up heart my boy make your way out and up yonder through them and tell general fournier that he has barely time to evacuate his post and cut his way through to the bridge as soon as you have seen him set out follow him down take some able-bodied men and set fire to the tents wagons caissons carriages anything and everything without pity and drive these fellows on to the bridge compel everything that walks on two legs to take refuge on the other bank we must set fire to the camp it is our last resource if berthier had let me burn those damned wagons sooner no lives need have been lost in the river except my poor pontooners my fifty heroes who saved the army and will be forgotten the general passed his hand over his forehead and said no more he felt that poland would be his tomb and foresaw that afterwards no voice would be raised to speak for the noble fellows who had plunged into the stream into the waters of the beresina to drive in the piles for the bridges and indeed only one of them is living now or to be more accurate starving utterly forgotten in a country village the brave officer had scarcely gone a hundred paces towards studzianka when general eble roused some of his patient pontooners and began his work of mercy by setting fire to the camp on the side nearest the bridge so compelling the sleepers to rise and cross the beresina meanwhile the young aide-de-camp not without difficulty reached the one wooden house yet left standing in studzianka 
so the box is pretty full is it messmate he said to a man whom he found outside you will be a knowing fellow if you manage to get inside the officer returned without turning round or stopping his occupation of hacking at the woodwork of the house with his sabre philippe is that you cried the aide-de-camp recognizing the voice of one of his friends yes ah ha is it you old fellow returned monsieur de sucy looking round at the aide-de-camp who like himself was not more than twenty-three years old i fancied you were on the other side of this confounded river do you come to bring us sweetmeats for dessert you will get a warm welcome he added as he tore away a strip of bark from the wood and gave it to his horse by way of fodder i am looking for your commandant general Ebley has sent me to tell him to file off to zembin you have only just time to cut your way through that mass of dead men as soon as you get through i am going to set fire to the place to make the move you almost make me feel warm your news has put me in a fever i have two friends to bring through oh, but for those marmots i should have been dead before now old fellow on their account i am taking care of my horse instead of eating him but have you a crust about you for pity's sake it is thirty hours since i have stowed any victuals i have been fighting like a madman to keep up a little warmth in my body and what courage i have left poor philippe i have nothing not a scrap but is your general in there don't attempt to go in the barn is full of our wounded go up a bit higher and you will see a sort of pigsty to the right that is where the general is good-bye my dear fellow if ever we meet again in a quadrille in a ballroom in paris he did not finish the sentence for the treachery of the northeast wind that whistled about them froze major philippe's lips and the aide-de-camp kept moving for fear of being frost-bitten silence soon prevailed scarcely broken by the groans of the wounded in the barn or the stifled sounds made by monsieur de sucy's horse crunching on the frozen bark with famished eagerness philippe thrust his sabre into the sheath caught at the bridle of the precious animal that he had managed to keep for so long and drew her away from the miserable fodder that she was bolting with apparent relish come along bichette come along it lies with you now my beauty to save stephanie's life there wait a little longer and they will let us lie down and die no doubt and philippe wrapped in a pelisse to which doubtless he owed his life and energies began to run stamping his feet on the frozen snow to keep them warm he was scarce five hundred paces away before he saw a great fire blazing on the spot where he had left his carriage that morning with an old soldier to guard it 
a dreadful misgiving seized upon him many a man under the influence of a powerful feeling during the retreat summoned up energy for his friend's sake when he would not have exerted himself to save his own life so it was with philippe he soon neared a hollow where he had left a carriage sheltered from the cannonade a carriage that held a young woman his playmate in childhood dearer to him than any one else on earth end of section 3 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey